This is How Music Does That. I'm Dale McGowan. Episode 40. Too many notes. I teach a class called Music and Culture at Oglethorpe University. And at the end of each semester, I ask students to look back at the music that we talked about in the course. Balinese gamelan, Chopin nocturnes, hip-hop, blues, minimalism madrigals, Tuvan throat song, film scores, plus their own personal playlists, the music they listen to by choice. Think about what rises to the top for you, what pieces appeal to you most, and then see if you can identify any elements of the music that appear frequently, features that seem to attract you, cutting across style and time and place. Maybe it's hypnotic patterns Evolving slowly over time, or maybe atmospheric music is your thing, or jarring unexpected rhythms or certain instruments, or a lot of dissonance or heavy bass. Maybe you're drawn to simplicity. It won't be always, it won't be only. Everybody has a range of aesthetic preferences, but see if something interesting emerges more often than not in the music you love. 300 words due Friday. And the result is always interesting, and a lot of them end up surprising themselves with the things they identify. And I always think about my own answers to that question, my own preferences, and what has changed for me and what hasn't. When I was young, I liked big, overblown romanticism, ladled out by the pound, dense piles of stuff all going on at once, just these waves of color and activity. Now I lean toward more transparent textures. Where each individual part comes through. On the popular side, I liked Big Genesis. And now it's Small Radiohead. So yeah, there have been changes, but what has stayed the same for me? What elements of music have kept me coming back since I was a kid? Let's start by dropping the needle on some of my high school LPs. Here's one I absolutely wore out. That's Some Skunk Funk by the Brecker Brothers. And then there was Manhattan Transfer. And a little later, Le Tombeau de Couperin by Ravel. Al Dimiola. And that Balinese gamelan. Then eventually, 
Busta Rhymes. So, see the connection? Too many notes, your majesty. Exactly. Very well put. Too many notes. That's right. I love too many notes. I love the continuous, fast, horizontal stream of notes that takes, and this is important, it takes an interesting path from A to B. Not everything I love has that element, but boy, it pops up a lot in what I love. Remember the scene in Amadeus, the premiere of a Mozart opera? Ghastly scales, arpeggios, whizzing up and down like fireworks at a fairground. Well, Herr Mozart, a good effort. Oh, well, decidedly that. An excellent effort. Of course, now and then, just, just, just now and then, it, it, it seemed a touch... Um, oh, how shall one say? Um, how shall one say, director? Too many notes, Your Majesty. Exactly. Very well put. Too many notes. Turns out that exchange wasn't made up for the movie or the play. The Emperor, Joseph II, had commissioned that opera, which is called The Abduction from the Seraglio. And the very first biography of Mozart, published just seven years after he died, quotes the Emperor complaining to Mozart, saying, It is too fine for my ears. There is an extraordinary number of notes, dear Mozart. And just like the film... Mozart supposedly replied, There are just as many notes, Majesty, as are required, neither more nor less. Now, if you've followed this podcast from the beginning, all this talk about the melodic aspect of music might be surprising. I'm usually a harmony guy. That vertical aspect, simultaneous pitches, creating the emotional color and the grammar of music. It wasn't until I sat down and really thought about the music that's meant so much to me that I realized how important these horizontal lines are to me as well. Harmony is color and grammar, right? But melody is shape and direction. And I mean literal shape. When Michael Brecker plays that incredible lick, it's visual to me. I don't just hear it. I see a roller coaster line going up and down like a sine wave and then shooting up at the end. Now, I don't know if that's because I've played the sax, so I'm you know, seeing the line of the music in my mind, or if everybody does that. But there's something about dicing up time that way and then allowing a melody to unfold over that shredded canvas that fascinates and attracts me. It's like being a little kid in the back seat on a long car trip, watching a rolling landscape through the slats of a fence as you drive by. Thank you. 
a name for this technique in the 18th and 19th century, those rapid, repeated notes. It was called perpetuum mobile, perpetual motion. And it was everywhere, from Bach to Vivaldi to Scarlatti to Mendelssohn to one of my favorites Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu Paganini and of course this guy the perpetual mobile is not for everybody critics in the 19th century called it sewing machine music or music by the yard and yeah when the path of the notes isn't interesting when it doesn't include surprise and delight and variety, well, then you've got Philip Glass. A lot of Romantic period composers used Perpetuum Mobile not so much as a line to follow, but as a kind of churn a way to get those piles of harmony infused with energy and motion. The melody in Chopin's revolutionary etude is the dotted rhythm up high in the right hand. But listen to the way the left hand creates this heaving C for the melody to rise above. Same thing with Rachmaninoff's incredible second piano concerto, but now it's orchestra riding on the piano perpetuum. there are whole genres of popular music built around notes in fast succession like scat singing and bebop and bluegrass 
Now, as much as I love and admire the instrumentalists, I'm an instrumentalist myself, more than a singer, when it comes to tackling too many notes, we are button pushers. Often highly skilled, astonishingly fast button pushers. But instrumentalists are getting an assist that singers don't get, right? Instruments were made for the purpose. My highest OMG WTF admiration is reserved for those who somehow managed to get the clumsy biological apparatus of the human voice, something developed for a very different purpose, to spin out these spectacular, fast and precise rhythmic lines. And for that, two vocal traditions deserve the absolute crown. One of them is rap. Busta Rhymes again, one of the great practitioners of this incredible vocal rhythmic art. But even that isn't the best fast rap passage in my humble. For that, I present 44 seconds of the rap artistry of No Clue from his song New West. But even that kind of top-shelf rap, for all its gymnastic amazingness, only gets a silver medal. The gold medal for outstanding human achievement in the field of inhuman vocal gymnastics goes to the South Indian vocal percussion tradition known as Kanakal. Kanakal is a technique in Carnatic music, one of the two major classical traditions of India. Now, if you are as enraptured with that sound as I am and you want to explore Kanakal further, there are so many great recordings and videos online. The most common spelling is K-O-N-N-A-K-O-L. And to gain the fullest appreciation of what's going on here, search for Kanakal Duet. Ta, di, tom, nam. di, tom, nam. di, tom, nam. (laughs) 
Okay, that was a lot of notes. I'm going to whisper for a minute to cleanse your palate. That was episode 40 of How Music Does That. Thanks to Tracy Colbrecht, my latest supporter. Hi, Tracy. And all the other brilliant friends who are supporting my work at Patreon.com. It means a lot to me that you're willing to do that. Now, I played a lot of music in this episode, and I want you to be able to find and listen to anything that piqued your interest, so here's a quick index. First, there was Mahler's Resurrection Symphony, Fifth Movement. Then the Bach Brandenburg Concerto Number 4. Genesis, Dance on a Volcano. Radiohead's No Surprises. The Brecker Brothers, Some Skunk Funk. Manhattan Transfer's Air Gin. Ravel, La Tombeau de Couperin. Al Dimiola's Two to Tango. Kebyar Hudyan Mas from the Balinese Gamelan tradition. Buster Rhymes feature in Chris Brown's Look at Me Now. Arvo Pert, Fratris, the version for cello and piano. The Fugue from Bach, Staccata, and Fugue in D minor. Vivaldi, Concerto Grosso in A minor for two violins. The Scarlatti D minor keyboard sonata, and You Want the Performance by Marta Argerique. Last movement of Haydn's Lark Quartet. Mendelssohn's Perpetuum Mobile, Opus 119. The Chopin Fantasy Impromptu. Paganini's Moto Perpetuo, Opus 11, number 6. Rimsky-Korsakoff's Flight of the Bumblebee. Philip Glass, Glassworks Movement 2, Flow. The Chopin Revolutionary Etude in C minor. Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number 2, First Movement. Ella Fitzgerald's 1974 live performance of It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing. Charlie Parker's Kim. Marty Stewart's Roanoke. New West by No Clue. And Conical Excerpts by John Wobbenhorst. Shri B.R. Somashekar Joyce. 
and Sri B.C. Manjunath. And the Karnataka College of Percussion. The Kanakal duet is by V. Shiva Priya and B.R. Somashekar Joyce. Which I will also post on the How Music Does That Facebook page. And I'll finish out now with the too many notes of ACDC's Thunderstruck, covered by the fantastic performers known as Two Cellos. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for How Music Does That. <laughs>